0: Welcome to Skim This. After a draft Supreme Court opinion revealed that the court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade, this week, the Senate voted down a bill that would codify the right to an abortion into federal law.
1: The a's are 49, the nays are 51. The motion is not agreed to.
0: We spoke to Senator Amy Klobuchar about what's next in the fight over reproductive rights.
1: In this leaked opinion, this justice is not just taking us back to the 1950s, it's the 1850s.
0: Also on the show, we've got the latest on the stock market's wild ride, the end of an era for music listeners, and the nationwide baby formula shortage that's causing new parents to get even less sleep. And to wrap things up, we'll talk to an expert about this summer's blockbuster boom, That's making us wanna pay concession stand prices for popcorn again. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr, let's skim this. After a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion revealed that Roe v. Wade will likely be overturned this summer, People have started to question what will happen in America when the right to an abortion isn't guaranteed. And even though we haven't gotten the official ruling, the fallout from last week's bombshell leak has continued. Abortion rights demonstrators took their message to Justice Kavanaugh and Alito's doorsteps. And all our bodies. While anti abortion groups have started organizing in states to advocate for restrictive abortion legislation once Roe is overturned. And in D.C., all eyes are on lawmakers. On Wednesday, Senate Democrats called for a vote on a bill that would codify abortion rights into federal law. That vote was largely symbolic, as the Democrats knew they didn't have the 60 votes needed to overcome the Senate filibuster. In total, 49 senators voted in favor of the bill, 51 against. Here was Vice President Kamala Harris after the vote.
1: This vote clearly suggests that the Senate is not where the majority of Americans are on this issue.
0: So now, Dems and the White House are scrambling to try to protect abortion rights before the official SCOTUS ruling comes out this summer. But without scrapping the filibuster, their options are limited. Across the aisle, Republicans are also thinking about what comes next. Last week, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was asked if a national abortion ban could be on the table should Republicans win big in upcoming elections. His answer? It's possible. To learn more about what's happening in Congress right now and how the Democrats are trying to re-strategize after setbacks to their agenda, we spoke to Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota who sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee. We'll also note... We've asked several of Klobuchar's Republican colleagues to come on this show, and we'll air those conversations if and when they happen. Senator Klobuchar, my first question for you is around scrapping the filibuster. You support getting rid of the filibuster in order to codify abortion rights into federal law. Do you think enough of your Democratic colleagues could get on board with that? And what would you say to your colleagues and even President Biden who've expressed unease with getting rid of it?
1: I personally, as you know, Alex, would get rid of the filibuster. I would put exceptions in place. And just so your um, listeners know, I mean, it's about 160 exceptions already, including for compensation for space accidents. There is an exception for uh, arms deals, <laughs> And I think that this is the same, if not much more important. So, you know, yes, you, you talk to your colleagues, but in the end, our best hope is to bring this right to the ballot box.
0: Besides trying to directly codify the protections in Roe into law, what else could Congress do to support abortion care nationwide, like providing funding for states that will see an influx of people seeking an abortion or codifying the right to contraception?
1: I think the first thing is if this opinion comes out as it is, the fall will be swift. We have over 20 states poised to reverse Roe v. Wade. 13 of them are automatic. Uh, So I think you're going to see legislative fights in states across the country. So that'll be a lot of focus of efforts, and it should be. And of course, what do I want? I want it in the national law, and then you won't have this patchwork. But as we head into the fall, I think you're going to see a lot of that. The Justice Department, they can pursue these cases and uh, do everything they can uh, to uh, protect a woman's right to make her own decisions. So I think you're going to see a lot of pushback in court and a lot of pushback in legislatures across the country. The other thing is just getting more judges in that understand the value of precedent. Justice Jackson will be starting in the fall. Of course, she'll be in the summer, she'll be taking Justice Breyer's place, but that was a big important thing to get done. And then we have more judges across the country that are up for confirmation whose cases we can get done. So that is all part of the same plan. And then, of course, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, other groups providers of reproductive services, making sure they're funded, working with them, that is all going to be really key as well.
0: Mitch McConnell has talked about the possibility of a nationwide abortion ban. And from your perspective, how likely do you think that is if the majority swings the other way or Republicans won the White House?
1: Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, he has said it. He's talking about it. He he means it. And I think people, when he says those things, people better take it seriously. And so that, again, is why I just keep talking about marching to the ballot box here. Uh, and no matter how difficult it's been, and it has been hard getting through this pandemic and seeing each other again and everything peoples have to go through, they still have to remember that we live in a democracy. We're reminded about that every day with what's happening in Ukraine. Ukrainians are literally putting their lives on their line to stand up for their democracy. We have an election coming up. We don't have Russia bombing our uh, schools right now, but we have threats uh, that are threats to our constitutional rights. It's a different kind of threat. And so we need to stand up for our democracy in the way we know best, and that is to go out and vote. As
0: a member of the Judiciary Committee, how are you thinking about the future of the Supreme Court? You know, can we no longer call the court an apolitical institution?
1: Well, there's a lot of things I would, I would do differently there. And the first thing, of course, is to get some ethics rules in place. When you look at what just uh, came out where Justice uh, Thomas's wife was actually advocating for looking at the election and some looking at the numbers and getting actively involved in emails to the White House, that is something where in any other normal court, that would be a conflict. And yet there aren't any requirements about these kinds of things for recusing yourself from cases in the Supreme Court. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't required that are required of other courts. I think that would gain back some public trust. And then getting judges into position, in open positions, we literally have confirmed now over 50, I think it's like 58 judges. In President Biden's first year, we confirm our judges than any time since Ronald Reagan in a 50-50 Senate, which is pretty phenomenal. And we've done that by just one by one by one getting these excellent judges confirmed, two-thirds of them judges of color, really changing the judiciary. And I know that feels distant, but it's not. Most of these Supreme Court justices come from the district court or the circuit court, and what those opinions say matters.
0: What would you say to someone in our audience, you know, mainly female millennials who were born into a post-Roe v. Wade world? Kind of what message do you have for them if this gets overturned this summer?
1: You know, usually we say don't get mad, vote. I say get mad and vote because you are poised to have less rights than your mom's or your grandma's. That was what this leaked opinion would do. There is absolutely no doubt. And it could easily extend to other things if they so took up other cases. Why? Because on the first page he says, the word abortion isn't in the constitution. Well, birth control isn't in the constitution. IUDs aren't in the constitution. The word privacy isn't in the constitution. And guess what? The constitution says the word he 25 times. You know how much it says the word she, Alex? Zero times because of when it was written. And literally, this justice in this leaked opinion, this justice is not just taking us back to the 1950s, it's the 1850s.
0: We want to speak to a female Republican lawmaker on this issue. Which of your colleagues should we call up?
1: Well, two of my colleagues are actually pro-choice. Um, And that is Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. Uh, And I'm grateful that they take a position that bucks their party. But, you know, Susan has come out for a different bill that we don't think actually protects the rights under Roe v. Wade the way it should. And, you know, I always listen to her because I've worked with her a ton. I have respect for her. But and I want to make that clear. I really do. But, you know, we want her to come over and and support this bill. So, you know, that's what we're trying to work on, because we don't think you should allow states to put some of. I mean, they literally Missouri, uh, a bill was introduced that said women can't cross state lines. They'll get sued if they do. They want to make it easier to sue anyone that helps a woman go across state lines to get an abortion. So these kinds of things are really concerning, and they're the reason why we want to make the bill as foolproof as possible when it comes to protecting the rights that we got under Roe v. Wade.
0: Senator, thank you so much. Thank you. At this point, shortages seem like nothing to write home about. Toilet paper, been there. Microchips, we're working on it. But the latest shortage to hit U.S. consumers is something that might keep parents up at night
1: formula shortage across the country. Many stores running out of the critical item and unable to restock.
2: Baby formula is quickly disappearing from South Florida store shelves. Parents are now fighting an uphill battle for their baby's health. It appears the nationwide shortage of baby formula is getting much worse. Not the news of moms want to hear.
0: We're going to cover everything you need to know about the formula shortage in 60 seconds. Baby formula has been flying off the shelves in the past few months, and manufacturers can't keep up. One report showed that 40% of baby formula options were out of stock nationwide last month. And in some states, like Texas and Missouri, it's even worse, with more than 50% of formula sold out. Now, some major retailers, including Target, CVS, and Walmart, have started to limit the amount people can purchase. That is, if you can even find any to begin with. So what's causing these empty shelves? One is something we've heard before, supply chain issues, thanks to the pandemic. And those issues were made worse when a major U.S.-based formula manufacturer called Abbott recalled some of their formula products back in February. The FDA is apparently working around the clock to get that Abbott plant back up and running. But in the meantime, it's been hard and costly to find replacements. The average cost of the most popular formula brands has jumped as much as 18% in the past year. And it's not like we can just start making more. It takes time for manufacturers to get FDA approval to make formula. Homemade formulas can be dangerous, and some formulas from overseas don't have to pass the same standards as domestic products. And that's all causing parents to scramble to feed their babies. If you're one of those parents, talk to your pediatrician. They could have samples you could use in a pinch, or they'll be able to tell you which other brands are good substitutes. And if you can't switch brands, try looking at local stores instead of big box chains. They might be seeing less traffic and could have some left. You can also take a look at your formula's ingredient list there could be a generic version of your brand name formula out there. And finally, you might want to head over to social media. Parents have started Facebook groups and social media accounts to find resources, and maybe someone in your community has an extra can they're willing to share. how do we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio at the Let's get to some other headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up.
1: America's opioid crisis shows no signs of abating.
0: This week, the National Center for Health Statistics announced drug overdose deaths hit a record high last year. In 2021, more than 100,000 Americans died of a drug overdose, a 15% increase from 2020. Opioid drugs like pain pills and fentanyl were responsible for more than 80,000 of those deaths, and deaths from methamphetamine and cocaine also increased. Overdose deaths have been steadily rising for years, particularly in rural areas where residents have a hard time accessing treatment. In fact, since the year 2000, drug overdoses have killed more than 1 million Americans. And experts say the pandemic has exacerbated this crisis, Because when you put together a shaky economic landscape and social isolation, drug use becomes more common. It's been five years since the Department of Health and Human Services declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency. But policymakers have been divided and fighting about potential solutions. In April, the Biden administration presented the National Drug Control Strategy, And the plan called for expanded access to naloxone, which is a drug that can reverse an overdose, drug test strips, and syringe distribution programs. Some criticize the harm reduction methods Biden's plan outlines, saying they allow for drug users to continue using. While others say it's the best way to allow people to use drugs safely and focus on the big picture, reducing overdose deaths overall. But while lawmakers fight it out, These latest numbers show this crisis is only getting worse, and coming together to find solutions is urgent. Okay, next headline.
2: Tonight, firefighters in New Mexico in a desperate battle against the largest wildfire in the country.
0: Here's what you need to know. The largest active wildfire in the US that started last month in New Mexico has continued to burn and is less than 30% contained so far, as seven others have also broken out in the state. A federal disaster has already been declared, and there's no sign of this cooling off anytime soon. High winds, severe drought, and dry conditions are expected to expand the fire's reach, and more people will have to evacuate the area as the fires move north towards Colorado. And while fire poses a major threat in the Southwest, Other states are experiencing dangerous heat waves, including Texas and Oklahoma. And those temperatures are predicted to make their way north to the Midwest and Northeast. So even though the calendar might read May, the temperature on your phone is saying it's August, leaving climate scientists concerned about more oppressive heat waves throughout the summer. All right, next headline. Yesterday, a U.S. government report revealed at least 500 Native American children died in U.S. boarding schools. The report also found more than 50 burial sites across the country. Here's the context. Dating back to the 1800s and lasting for 150 years, the U.S. government took Native American children from their communities and forced them to attend boarding schools. These children were made to attend these schools in order to assimilate into American culture. But in reality, the children endured abuse, manual labor, and severe malnourishment. And if this recent finding sounds familiar, that's because countries like Canada and Australia have gone through a similar reckoning. Since last year, Canada has uncovered hundreds of unmarked graves. And in Australia, hundreds of massacres have been accounted for. Here in the U.S., the investigation into exactly what happened is still ongoing, and officials expect the number of deaths to rise as the search continues. One thing to note is this report came without a formal apology from the U.S. government for its role, something indigenous communities have called for and are still waiting to hear. And our final headline.
3: We are introducing a product today that takes us exactly there. And that product is called iPod. iMac, iBook, iPod.
0: We're saying RIP to the iPod. Apple announced that the company is discontinuing its last iPod model after being on the market for more than two decades. Back in the pre-Spotify days, the iPod revolutionized the music industry by allowing people to purchase a song for 99 cents a pop. The OG iPod had five gigabytes of space and could hold up to 1,000 songs. And over the years, the iPod evolved into different sizes and colors. Remember the stress of deciding your iPod color? Remember trying to download explicit songs on iTunes without your parents finding out? Oh, iPod, we loved you. At its peak, the iPod made up around 40% of Apple's total revenue, But that's definitely changed over the last few years. Ever since the iPhone got smarter and streaming became a whole lot easier, people ditched the iPod and that caused sales to drop. So now Apple is officially sending the iPod into rainbow spinning wheel heaven. But if you're looking for a quick hit of nostalgia, Apple is still selling iPod touches while supplies last. It's time for our weekly money check-in. Let's start with a pulse check on prices. We got new inflation numbers on Wednesday, which revealed that prices in April were up 8.3% from the same month last year. For comparison, in March, the inflation rate was 8.5%. But before you get too excited and say, hey, it looks like inflation is starting to stabilize, we've got some not so great news. Something called core inflation, which are prices that basically exclude volatile or unpredictable markets like the energy and food markets, went up by 0.6% and showed no signs of slowing down. And while economists are hopeful that our peak inflation days are behind us, these latest numbers show that high prices are here to stay. Meanwhile, there's another kind of economic turbulence that might be sticking around for a bit.
1: Let's focus our attention now on Wall Street because moments ago the markets opened and they are reacting badly. April was the worst month for investors since March 2020's pandemic panic.
2: Breaking news, Wall
3: Street is about to close any minute now. The Dow collapsing.
2: The stock market
0: seems like it's been in freefall recently. And while TV anchors make it seem like the literal world is ending... Personal finance expert Farnoosh Torabi told us the markets aren't supposed to always go up.
2: It's a wild time for the markets. If you're watching the stock market, uh, your stomach might be turning. I think it's important to remember that companies go through cycles, and what goes up must come down. If you look at the long-term charts of these companies, you do tend to see an upward movement. But if you zoom in, you're going to have moments and years and cycles where uh, things are a lot more volatile but tell that to Wall
0: Street. And even if you don't work as a trader or at a hedge fund, if you've even checked your 401k recently, you might not be feeling great. This week, all three major US stock indexes dropped even further, and tech stocks seem to be taking the biggest hit. In recent days, Microsoft and Apple both saw their market values fall by around $200 billion. For comparison, $200 $200 billion is more than the size of Mercedes-Benz, Starbucks, and General Mills combined. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, has also seen its share value decrease 40% since November. And now, Meta's frozen hiring and employees fear layoffs are on the way. Netflix stock also fell to a near five-year low this week after announcing big losses in the first quarter of this year. And P.S., Even though it's the tech stocks that are making the headlines, a lot of companies
2: are feeling the heat. I think part of what's putting pressure now on a lot of companies, including tech companies, is inflation, is rising costs of of fuel. Um, And it is also the turbulence that we're seeing overseas with Russia's war on Ukraine. That is creating a lot of disruption in the global economy. The supply chain situation has not really worked itself out since the pandemic. And so when you talk about what's weighing on profits, I think it's it's the accumulation of all of these factors.
0: Think about it like this. Just like we've all dealt with not getting something on time or sticker shock at the gas station, companies are also dealing with products and parts stuck in warehouses and the cost of energy soaring. So some of them have had a harder time meeting investors' expectations. People pull their money out, and as a result, their stock goes down. So CEOs are definitely sweating right now. But so are a lot of us. We asked Tarabi, if we have a 401k or an investment portfolio, should we be
2: freaking out right now? I don't think you should be incessantly looking at your portfolio. I never think that's a good idea especially in times where emotions might be running high as a result of headlines and what you're seeing happening in the stock market. Certainly a good time to look at your portfolio if you haven't in a while to make sure you are still working to plan that if you want to retire in 30 years, your portfolio reflects that. These days with auto platforms and robo-advisors, it's pretty easy to get aligned quickly to just make sure the portfolio is working in your favor. We know that people who abandon their portfolios during periods of market recessions end up having a much harder time regaining their footing in the market. Those who stood the test of time ended up recovering and then some. So it might help to remember that the stock
0: market is always going to be a bit of a roller coaster. But there are plenty of ways to keep yourself safe. Just make sure you buckle your seatbelt. Picture this. It's summertime in the mid-2000s, and you're heading straight to the movie theater. Because when a lot of us were growing up, the hottest movies of the year came out from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Summer blockbuster season all started when Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg, hit theaters and scared people from swimming in the ocean. Jaws became the first movie to earn $100 million at the box office. And since the summer of 1975, Hollywood has spent a lot of marketing dollars to make sure other summer releases would be just as successful.
3: Traditionally, summer is one of the busiest times of year to go to the movies, and that's because people are on vacation, kids are out of school. And so that period from Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day is really the time of year that studios are ushering out their biggest movies because people will go more often than they normally would.
0: That's Rebecca Rubin, a film and media reporter at Variety, and she told us all that marketing promo paid off because box offices reportedly used to earn up to 40% of their annual revenue during the summer. That was until the pandemic, when there was a lot less to see and people weren't going to watch in person. But if you've been craving that movie theater air conditioning and an extra large soda, we have some good news it seems like summer blockbusters are back. Hollywood studios and
3: movie theaters are hoping that people who have spent the past two years watching movies and TV shows from home
0: are feeling tired of that and burned out by that and wanting a different experience. We've already gotten a preview of what this summer movie season could bring, and so far, things are looking good. The Marvel movie Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness opened last weekend. And it was record-breaking. The movie raked in at least $185 million opening weekend, making it the second biggest domestic movie launch since the pandemic. It's also the 11th biggest opening weekend in North America in history. It's
3: the first big return to summer blockbuster season that we've seen since the pandemic has begun. And What was very exciting to people who work in the movie theater business is is that that movie made as much money as it probably would have in pre-pandemic times. And it's one of the rare movies that we've seen live up to what it was expected to make when it was initially made.
0: Before you ask, don't all these superhero movies do well at the box office? You're not wrong. But studios are optimistic that success for certain kinds of movies will lure in theatergoers to see other blockbusters this summer.
3: For the last two years, there's been these caveats on ticket sales. It's quote-unquote good ticket sales for pandemic times. And so what we're seeing now and what people are hoping is going to continue into summer blockbuster season is that ticket sales aren't just good for pandemic times. They're good for normal times. And so I think that signals to a lot of people that A lot of the blockbusters on schedule have the potential to perform above expectations.
0: If you can't wait to head back to the theater, Ruben's got a couple of movies to add to your watch list: Top
3: Gun: Maverick, which is a sequel to a movie that came out a few decades ago, but Tom Cruise is in it. There's a lot of nostalgia there that I think the studios are banking on getting the demographic that loved that movie. Another big movie that's coming out is Jurassic World Dominion, and that's bringing back some of the actors like Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and other actors who were in the original Jurassic Park franchise.
2: If our world's going to survive,
3: what matters this is what we do now. I can use your expertise. You coming or what? Jordan Peele, who directed the movie Get Out, He has a new movie coming out called Nope. If it gets people talking in the same way that Get Out got people talking, I think there could be a resurgence of people going to the movies not just for these superhero blockbusters, because that's what we've seen for the past two years. The director Baz Luhrmann has a movie coming out called Elvis, and it's about Elvis Presley, and Tom Hanks is playing his manager. Tomorrow,
0: all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. (laughs)
3: It's one of those movies where everyone at least has heard of the subject. And since so many people are familiar with his music, that could be a big one to get people to theaters because right in the name alone, you don't have to explain to people what the movie's going to be about. You can just say, oh, Elvis, and they get it.
0: Whether blockbuster season is back forever or this is just a summer fling remains to be seen. But one thing's for sure.
1: So those refreshments brings you to
3: $230.
0: The return of movie theaters means the return of movie theater prices. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our producer, Will Livingston, and our associate producer, Blake Lou Merwin. We had additional help this week from Hannah Parker. This episode was engineered by Ellie McAfee-Hahn and Andrew Calloway and The Skim's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. Skim This will be back in your feet again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from The Skim. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9 to 5-ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.